Welcome to episode 129 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. As we approach the dead of winter in the Northern Hemisphere, our calendars tend to be less filled with appointments because everyone is hibernating. Even if you look ahead a couple of months, I'm sure your schedule seems quite light at the moment with very few appointments on the books. But if you look ahead to May and June, you'll start to see that your weekends are already filling up. There is that wedding you were invited to in June, your college reunion in May, your kid's high school graduation, that fabulous cruise you've been dreaming about for years and years. So much good to look forward to. And then you start to think about how all of these events mean lots and lots of photos. Hmm, might be time to start working on that resolution to drop down a size or two. Because you know that losing 10 pounds isn't something you can do the week before the event, right? This is true of any goal you have, whether it's a personal goal of getting fit or professional goal of speaking on a TEDx stage. The way to achieve great things isn't to treat them as one great thing, but to break down the goal into specific and achievable steps. That's where the Magic of Quarterly Goals workbook comes in. I co-created this free resource to help you create momentum throughout the year and leverage your limited time. I know how busy you are and that if I just give you the free 47-page workbook, you'll download it and never get around to filling it out. I know because that's what I would do too. That's why I'm co-leading a series of quarterly free working masterclasses to guide you through filling out the pages for each quarter and answering any questions if you get stuck. Your challenge for this week, download your free copy of the Magic of Quarterly Goals workbook at robbysamuels.com forward slash goals. Act quickly and you'll be invited to also sign up for a free working masterclass on February 1st, where I'll lead you through a series of exercises to fill out the first quarter pages. Now, don't be daunted by the size of this 47-page workbook. It is meant to be a living document that you revisit each quarter so you're sure to stay on track. We scheduled this masterclass on February 1st just in time for you to realize that intentions aren't the same as actions and maybe, just maybe, you need a bit more support to get going on your goals for 2019. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, onto this week's show. Today's guest believes fun at work is finding an easier, simpler, or smarter way to spend more time doing what you're brilliant at and less time making business happen. She has over 20 years of B2B marketing experience in software and for small businesses. She was the second UK hire and marketer on the team who launched Zero in the UK. She is the co-founder of the Small Business Finance School, is the author of two books, and now is the co-founder of Statsy, a mobile app that brings key social media, marketing, sales, and accounting stats together in one place from all of the business apps and software you're already using. Please join me in welcoming Lucy Whittington. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, Lucy, thank you so much for joining me from your office in Poole, England. It's a joy to have you on the show. 
And as you know, this is a show about leadership and building strong networks. So tell me, how do you define leadership? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? So I'd always expected leadership to be about being a manager, you know, being a boss, being in charge, being a leader. Um, Whereas now I see it more about being a thought leader. So my, or, or someone who just is a leader by what they happen to do. So it's not about, uh, for me, leading is being yourself, being really clear about what your values are, what you believe in, how how you see things and having an opinion, and then people choosing to follow you or not. So rather than it, I always used to feel it was something I had to be and I had to create, I had to <laughs> be this leader. And actually it was more about believing in what I thought, being myself, understanding my own values and, and letting people choose to see you as someone who can lead them. So yeah. just, that really, that was the big difference for me. So it's someone, for me, a, a really great leader is someone who's just so clear about who they are, what they do and what they stand for, that people choose to follow them. If that resonates with them or it makes sense to them or it's someone they want to, you know, follow or, or read about or, you know, yeah. enjoy their opinion. So it's, it's a different take on it for me. It's I appreciate this distinction. telling people what to do. Yeah. <laughs> This distinction between a manager and a leader is an important one uh, to underscore because one's a title that is given mm-hmm. to you and the other one is something you kind of earn. Like, like leadership sounds like people choosing to follow you, not right. having to follow you, not being told to follow you, but so ironically, what you're all about. Yeah. So ironically, I had, when I had proper jobs, when I was employed, uh, I was a manager and I was terrible at it. Uh, I was very good at my job. I was very good at what I did, which was marketing, but I wasn't good at being a people leader because I used to get very frustrated by people not seeing things the way I saw them or just getting on with things like I would or or doing things. So it was only when I started doing my own thing that I probably became a leader and, and actually didn't see that for quite a long time. I just did my thing and people who liked it followed me. And I think it was when I became an author and I would have people wanting to consume my content and my ideas and my thinking that I thought, hang on, I'm, you know, they see me as someone who's leading a way of doing things or leading a way of thinking. So ironically, like you said, when I had the job title of being a leader, I was a terrible one. <laughs> and then when I just started doing my own thing, then that's when I probably was more of a leader and am now and, and now have realized that's what I am. If I choose, you know, if people choose to follow me, that's what I am by default. It's not something I've created. It's just something that is. And, and part of it, what you're doing is you're putting yourself out there. It sounds like part of your definition is you can't be a leader if you stay home and no. don't share your ideas. You have to go out and share your ideas. Yeah, you have, you have to be visible. It's not just about, you know, sitting at home on your own being amazing. <laughs> it's... <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so it's, it's it's being confident and being clear and being okay about sharing what you the what your take on the world. Um, you know, I talk about people doing their thing. I mean, that was one of my books was find your thing, and it's about working out the thing you do brilliantly and showing other people how it can help them solve a problem. So whether that's to do something quicker or to do something smarter or cheaper or easier, if you can see that and it's a problem you can solve, it's about making sure people know that's what you can help them with and standing up and doing that. So yes, you do have to get out there and say, this is my take on things. Mm-hmm. And, and some people will like it. Some people won't like it at all, but that's okay. And I think 
you know you're a leader when you go ahead and do that anyway. I mean, you're not not in a kind of, you know, forget everyone kind of way. I'm just going to do my own thing and ignore everyone. Just in a, that's absolutely fine that you don't agree with me. Um, I don't have all the answers, but here's what I believe in and here's what I'm doing and here's where I'm going and here's how I see the world. And if you think that sounds great, then I'm over here. And if you don't, then that's fine. And I think that's part of being a good leader as well is not trying to make people come with you. Mm, yeah, because actually part of, uh, particularly when you use the word thought leader, part of being a thought leader is saying things that some people will love mm-hmm. and be like, how do you, how do you get in my head? How do you yeah. know exactly what I'm thinking? And then other people are like, fooey, I don't like that at all. Yeah. I don't believe that. And then they walk in one direction and the other people follow you. And if, if we try to expand our ideas to incorporate everyone, then no one will follow us because it wouldn't exactly. the leader. You, you get nowhere being beige. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's important that you have something to stand for. And I think that puts a lot of people off being a leader because, you know, as humans, we want to be liked by everyone. We don't like the idea of some people not liking us. Now, that's not to say people have to hate you. And I think that's a distinction. It's, you don't have to be liked. Uh, you know, you just, I can, I respect some people that I don't like, you know, I don't like their opinion or I don't like what they say, but I think that's part of healthy debate. You don't have to agree with everyone. You yeah. know, you can choose your side, but you can still respect the other side for also being strong in their opinions. You just don't have to agree with them. So I'm curious when you were growing up, whether you had any kind of role model that you now can see were the kind of people that you are aspiring to be as a leader. I was, I'm always attracted to people who um, <laughs> are very confident. I've always been attracted to people who were maybe a bit different, whether that was, you know, they dressed differently or, you know, I was, I was a bit of a geek and a nerd at school when it wasn't cool. I really wished I'd like grown up in that era where being a nerd was cool like it is now, but it just so wasn't when I was growing up. But there were people I met who, you know, I always kept quiet that I played in the orchestra or was really brainy and got to go on the quizzes or you know it was picked out as being smart and things like that and and I always admired people who were very confident about that but like yes I'm really clever or yes I'm in the orchestra or I wore you know I wore different clothes and was a bit alternative and didn't try and fit in with everyone else so I think I've always um I've I've recognized that I I wasn't being that person when I when I really was and so I've always seen those people as amazing role models, whether it was, you know, other kids at school who just really didn't care what other people thought of them. They were just going to do their thing and, and get on with it. And, you know, and as I've grown up, there have been people I've worked with who have just been very strong in their opinions. Or, and that naturally attracts me to entrepreneurs as opposed to bigger corporates. Like I, when I left university, I almost joined some big companies and realized very quickly that that didn't really sit with me because... I'm I have quite a strong character and I like to try things out my way I'm not saying I'm always going to be right but I knew I wouldn't thrive in an environment where I wasn't allowed to try things out or be myself or or do things a bit differently and I I knew that it would frustrate me with hindsight I'd probably had a lot more money but (laughs) you know like if I'd have done the corporate thing but I knew that would have just didn't suit me I couldn't be one of many, many people doing a tiny, tiny job that I couldn't see its contribution. I couldn't see its significance. I couldn't be creative within it. I couldn't try things out. So that's why business owners or people who've had their own business or just trying to do things a bit differently. Maybe if I'd have had 
role models within corporate that that were those more kind of what we would call entrepreneurs now you know the people who are trying to do things differently within business it would have appealed to me more but for me I always saw it was people running their own businesses that got to do things their way yeah so and you've been doing that running your own business or being self-led for for over 20 years yep that's I mean a lot of the times when I'm speaking to people about their entrepreneurship journey it goes back to about 2008 yeah. Um, because the world economy sort of like folded in on itself and everyone found themselves suddenly needing to reinvent themselves. But your story predates that. What was the impetus? Was it really right out of university that you no, said? No, I did, I did have jobs. Uh, I had jobs up until, when are we thinking? Uh, 2005, I started my business. But the jobs that I had were always for smaller companies who are, you know, like I think the smallest one, there was like four or five of us, cliche, internet startup, like 98, 99, I was there. Um, But I'd always worked for smaller companies where I was significant in the fact that, you know, the department I worked in was often just me, you know, I was (laughs) the marketing and sales department, the marketing department was just a couple of us or, and so you had to do lots of things, you had to contribute, you had to be part of everything and you were very visible. At the same time, you could, you had to work. You know, you couldn't, you, you weren't part of a bigger team where you could, you know, have quiet days and not get much done. Like you had to be contributing all the time. But then that always appealed to me because I never wanted to be somewhere if I wasn't contributing or making a difference. So I think being around those types of businesses, um, I always knew I wanted to have my own business. Um, and, and I'll be honest, I kept waiting for my big, you know, my big idea that I was going to, you know, invent something or launch something. And it actually dawned on me that I could just go and do what I was doing as, you know, the marketing and Mm. and that sort of things. I could just go and do that, but do it my way and do it independently. And that really, for me, came at that point where as you got better at what you did, you got promoted into management and then you ended up doing a job that actually was a whole different job. So actually managing a team and managing people is a completely different job to being good at the thing that you do, which for me was marketing and, you know, building relationships and message and all those kind of things. So you end up spending less and less time doing the thing that you're good at and more time, in my case, doing the thing you're not good at, (laughs) which is managing people. So how how have you managed that as an entrepreneur then? Because you still have a business to run. Do you have a team that helps you take care of the pieces that are not in your zone of genius? I do have a team and I've had various sizes of teams, but everyone's always been outsourced. My husband works in the business with me. He uh, is a website designer and he's known as the coloring in department. So he does all like the website and back end and tech stuff. Um, but I've had, you know, lots of outsourcers. I've had, you know, people come in and help me with run events and coach and project manage. And I've had VAs and people that, that assist me. But because that's, because that's something that my idea and what I was doing in my business came first those people were attracted to work in the business because of the values and the message and the content that I was doing. Mm. And so it felt different to hiring someone to work for a business because this was, you know, because they were part of my, you know, people who were in the market, if you like, and seeing what I was doing and what I was writing and what I was saying and how I was showing up, they could choose to work with me rather than me trying to find someone to fit my values. It was like Mm -hmm. switching the relationship around the other way. So, if, like you know, it. when you're hiring people, you're trying to see if they'll fit with the, the company values. And it's like a different interview process. Whereas when you're running a smaller business and you're looking for outsourcers, often they're attracted to you and want to come and work for you because you're just in their marketplace anyway. Yeah. So I found, I found that a lot easier. Um, and, and also 
when you work with outsourcers, I mean, we have, you know, the business I'm in now, we have, uh, you know, employed people, but because the economy's changed and so many people are freelancers, it's almost like you, you, there's a more equal balance of like, well, they're choosing you as much as you're choosing them. Mm -hmm. So, so you, you know, it is about having a great relationship. It's about making sure they're doing the work they like to do. And they've probably specialized a lot more as well. You know, they're only doing the piece of work that they really love doing and you're only doing the bit that you love doing. So everyone's happy, whereas Mm. it's a different kind of landscape and everyone's been able to specialize a lot more and stand up and go, actually, I just want to do this piece. So if you need this piece doing, I'm over here and can I come and do it for you? Because it looks really fun what you're doing, but I just want to do this piece for you. And so it's a lot easier to put the jigsaws together of what bits have you got missing in your business and find really motivated people to do it because they've chosen that as their piece. I really like this description of the jigsaw puzzle and how your your attraction based mm. building a team as opposed to, you know, when you're in a in a company, you're like hoping to find people yeah. that will fit your values. But these people who you're attracting now already know what your values are. And that's exactly. why they're looking for you, want to work for you, and they're in their little piece that they want to contribute. And, and actually, some of them have been clients. <laughs> some of them are people <laughs> of who actually work with me. And they've actually gone, and I've kind of gone, oh, that's great. You do this little piece. And they've worked that out. And they're like, yeah, that's brilliant. And then I'm like, mm, can you do it for me? And, and so it's, it hasn't even felt like hiring. It's mm-hmm. just, let's do this together. It's much more about collaboration and working together rather than being in charge and bossing people around. So what was the challenge though? I mean, going from even small startup <laughs> world, which was like fast paced, but you still had other people above you who, you know, the buck did not stop with you. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly it's you. And then you went through the economy taking mm-hmm. a tank, tanking and having to f- build a team. Like what's, I mean, you've, you've survived, you've done it, you've thrived. Yep. You're, you're here over 20 years later, you're still doing it. And it's fantastic. You're, I feel like you're constantly reinventing yourself. And now you've got this new statsy mobile apps, you're with the times, we're all about apps these days. Early on though, if you were like talking to someone who was just trying to make that leap, mm-hmm. what's the challenge that you were facing that you had to overcome? So <laughs> the main challenge is confidence. That's probably what it boils down to. It's believing in yourself. It's trusting yourself. It's believing that you can do something a bit different. I think when you're working for a business, you can always hide behind your team or the way things are done, or this is the budget I had, or these are the opportunities, or this is the market we're in. Um, And when you're on your own, everything's an opportunity, but obviously everything's also (laughs) a threat as well. It's like, oh my gosh, I could do anything, which also becomes a panic of like, oh gosh, I can do everything. And so it's about being really clear about who you do and don't want to work with. And, and you know, we all make mistakes. When you first start out in business, you say yes to everything. If someone wants to pay you to do it, you say yes. And it does take confidence to say no. It takes, you know, confidence to know what you are and aren't good at and actually go, I could do that for you, but actually that's not my real strength. And you'd get a better job done if someone else did it. And that's really scary when you think, oh, that's money I could have had to pay my bills. But it's getting better at trusting yourself that actually, if I say no to that, I'm keeping time available to do the things I really am brilliant at. And if I only stick to the things I'm brilliant at, then I'll get much better results and then I'll get better testimonials and I'll get better referrals and then I can charge more and then I can grow my business. And so there's a lot, there's a lot of trust involved. There's a lot of keeping faith. There's a lot of being really clear about what you do and don't do and having good boundaries. And that's really hard at the beginning to say no to things. 
But the better you get at sticking to what you do brilliantly and being really clear about what you stand for, everything else becomes easier. It becomes easier for you to promote what you do. It becomes easier for people to promote on your behalf, you know, become a referrer. If you do lots of things, if you do one thing for one person, one thing for something else, you've got different people referring you for different things and it, and it gets really messy and out of your control. So, you know, getting really specific, sticking to what you do brilliantly, even if some days you're not sure where the next client is coming from, like not, not becoming this generalist, not trying to do a bit of everything. And that's yeah. hard. That yeah. is hard. I had that experience when I was shifting from a career to my mm. own business because my, in my career, I had organized fundraising events. So when I left to pursue speaking and coaching full-time, uh, people were reaching out to me left and right either to run their events mm-hmm. or to review fundraising plans. And yeah. I just was like, I, I don't want to do that. Yeah. And I was fortunate to have a spouse who supported me in that. And he was like, yeah, you know, that doesn't make any sense for you to go do that. And I, I didn't have the clearest sense of what I did want to do next. Yeah. I think that's the hard part when you're like, it is. yeah, making that leap. But trusting yourself is important. And, and I think it's okay to do it for a while, but it's, it's, it's about constantly, like you've said, you know, I've done different things, but that's because I've just, you know, I sit and I look and I go, actually, what have, you know, what am I loving doing at the moment? What is actually frustrating? What clients do I do? You know, you should always review these things all the time. Sometimes you don't know. I mean, this is something that, that I always used to worry about was getting things wrong. So I, you know, I didn't want to look like someone who, who didn't know what they were doing or wasn't clear. And, and that, used to really bother me that I always wanted to look like I was in control and actually getting things wrong is fine as long as you don't get them wrong twice (laughs) (laughs) you know you want to be smart about it you know if you if you work with a client that turned out to be you know really painful or or it just wasn't fun or you didn't enjoy it or it didn't work for you or it just wasn't work that you liked like don't do it again but you know sometimes you don't know until you try it so it's okay so it's having the kind of confidence and bravery to try things if you're not sure, but then knowing if they're not right for you, not to carry on doing them, not to yeah. do them anymore. And I think it's 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 always that reevaluating, asking the questions again. Did, was that fun? Did I enjoy it? Did I get results? Did I get paid well? And and, and is this work I want to carry on doing? And and also being okay to stop doing things to say you know, no. To I've move. been working on this model for, to help my clients think through how to identify their their ideal client, and so much mm-hmm. of what you're you're speaking about really resonates with, with this in the sense that um, there are times when we fall into sort of pitfalls where someone it comes to us because they know we have some expertise mm-hmm. and they're willing to pay us and we know we can help them, but it's not our passion. Yep. And if a lot of our client list looks that, like that, then we lead to burnout because it mm. isn't the direction we want to be going. And then sometimes we fall into this other trap, which is when we are dabbling in something. We're kind of excited about it. It's a passion of ours, but we're not actually an expert yet. But someone else thinks that we have more expertise than we actually have. And they say, hey, can I hire you to be my consultant in that area? If it's the direction we want to grow, then you're being paid to learn. But if it's something that you're just dabbling in and it's not really the direction of your business, you're going to spend way more time on that client than any of your other clients. And the opportunity cost is you won't do anything else for your business to grow. Yeah. And then the last sort of like trap, uh, or actually this pitfall I call a uh, hobby, <laughs> is yeah. when you have the expertise and you have the passion and people are always coming to you for advice and support, but they never think to pay you and you never think to charge them. Yeah. That actually could be an opportunity though 
because those people, absolutely, if you think about it, they might become great prospects. But the ideal client comes to you for expertise that you have, something yep. you're passionate about and would love to talk about. You know you can help them and they will willing to pay you for the value that you offer them. Like you want more of those people. And I think we are constantly looking for new clients sort of as if they were not people we already know. Yes. But they're actually already in your universe, most likely. They're people yeah. who are already attracted to you, think you're a resource, you know, come to you for it's advice. If you're not clear about what it is that you do and don't do, and that's really important as well, I think people don't talk mm. enough about what they don't do. And right. this goes back to what you do, um, where you do it, how you do it. You know, whether you say to people, look, I don't travel to your office, we do everything online. You know, I want to, you know, I'm happy to talk to you, I'm happy to work with you, but I don't, you know, I don't do client visits. And they might be like, oh, yeah, but we don't work like that. And you say, well, this is how, you know, if you want me and you you want me to work with you, this is how I do it. And and just things like that, which, which you know, when I first started again as a consultant, I would always be traveling everywhere and going to see everyone. And now I'm like, no, I'm here. If you want me, <laughs> you know, I have kids I need to get to school and I want to see after school. I don't want to be spending two hours traveling and not coming home and on time and seeing them. Like I can do just as much work here. In fact, it's about knowing where you do your best work as well. So it's not only who do you do it for, it's, it's how you do it. Do you want to do it you know, at home, do you want to go on client visits? Um, do you want to have an office? Do you do you want to, you know, work a week on, a week off? Anything like that. I had one client who was like, well, I, just, I don't really, I'm not really a morning person. I went, fine, we well, don't see clients in the morning. And they looked at me with that face of like, that's so obvious. <laughs> can I really do that? And I went, well, you've got two options. You can either be really clear about it and just say, look, I'm not great in the morning. So, um, you know, I have all my meetings in the afternoon. Or you just happen to never have an available appointment in your diary in the morning. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> so you can either be upfront about it or it just doesn't happen, depending on you know, how you feel your clients will react. But I think that, that, again, it comes back to that confidence and clarity thing. It's like, know when and how you do your best work. Know who it's with. Um, again, you know, it's the same with marketing. You know, we talk about marketing all the time. And it's like, know, you know how and where you do your best marketing. If you are if you're a great writer, then use that to your advantage, you know, write blogs and write great articles on Facebook and share them that way. If you're much better live, you know, get loads of speaking gigs and go out and talk to people and connect with them that way. You don't have to do every type of marketing. You don't have to do every type of social media. Mm. And, and as long as your ideal clients are there, obviously caveat as a marketeer, and you know, it's getting you results. So, you know, you're measuring the, the people that hang out with you there or listen to you speak are then coming over and you know signing up to your mailing list or requesting to work with you or buying whatever it is you sell then carry on doing it and I think there's so many ways to do everything now that it's easy to get into overwhelm and it's easy to get into panic but stick to what you're brilliant at you know you don't you know, need it, every way of doing everything it almost feels like uh becoming an entrepreneur now as opposed to 20 years ago is fraught with a yeah. lot more challenges in the sense that because you can do so many things, oh. you get stuck in the, oh my God, I should be doing all of these things, doing all these Absolutely. channels, right? So, yeah. Yeah. So it's I wanna, so overwhelming. I wanna... It's so overwhelming. You could <laughs> literally spend your entire day busy doing marketing and not right. really getting anywhere. And not making any money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or just not even getting to the right people. You know, you could be on yeah. every social media platform and sending emails out and going to networking events and doing, you know, you could be doing so, you can be making so much noise and literally no one's listening to you. Mm -hmm. 
So speaking of networking and people and people <laughs> listening to you, I want to I want to segue us to talking about that because because of your varied work history, mm. I imagine there are people that you worked alongside uh, or were clients of yours yeah. you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago that you still know that you still call upon that it become part of your business in yeah. some way shape or form, probably in surprising ways. Correct. Um so how do you think about nurturing and sustaining connections with that kind of circle of people, mm-hmm. not your closest connections, mm-hmm. but those people that were either a long time ago colleagues or clients, or you meet at a conference in a lot, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of years ago and you hit it off. How do you how do you sustain and, and, and build relationships over time with, with those kinds of people? So I've kind of got two answers to this question. Um, one of them is knowing that you've made that connection with the sort of person that if you haven't spoken to them for a year or two years, or maybe you haven't seen them for five years, they're the sort of person that you got on that well when you first connected with them, that you'd be straight back into like, hey, how's it going? And by the way, you know, my kid's 12 now. <laughs> like, you know, I last saw you when they were a toddler and, you know, and I mean, that happened to me last week. I, I, I met someone uh, out who, you know, I hadn't seen for ages and, and couldn't believe how old my children were. And yet social media has kept us in touch. I mean, the social media is amazing for this. So whether it's LinkedIn or Facebook or anything like that, I mean, honestly, I find this with friendships as well as with business networking relationships. I think if there are people that you hit it off well enough in the first instance and you made a good connection in terms of, you know, whether it was shared humor or values or you worked with them or something, then, you know, you keep an eye on those people and you connect with them on a social platform and they will be the sort of people that it doesn't matter how long it's been, you can pick right up where you left off. So, so half of my answer to that question is, it's usually down to the people in the first place and the connection you have with them the first time you met them. And I just think it's really, um, you know, it's really important that you don't worry too much about like really focusing on, I've got to keep writing to those people. I've got to keep doing that. People will choose to keep in touch with you the way that suits them. So some people will have joined, you know, my mailing list. So in my, my business, uh, you know, people can join the email list and I send out stuff and they keep up with me that way. And I know some people that I've met just stay on the mailing list. They're never going to buy from me, but they might know people who will or have other friends and that's fine. They'll get my emails. That's great. Other people, it will be Facebook, other people, it will be LinkedIn, um, other people literally will disappear and I won't see them for years and then you'll bump into them. Um, and I think it's, if you made a big enough connection in the first place or were memorable, or again, this goes back to being very clear about who you are, knowing what you stand for, knowing what you do, you will be memorable. If you're beige in all of those things, no one's going to remember you. No one's going to, they're like, oh, did I meet you? I don't really recall. Um, so I, you know, don't try and over-engineer it by doing something memorable. You know, don't be necessarily that person who did a stunt or you know, like made an exhibition of themselves. But if you had a really close connection or you shared something, um, I think it's just like friendships. You know, if there's something, if you know, there's a band you both like, or there was a joke you shared, or you know, something was happening at that time, and you see something to it later, and you just send a quick reminder and reference, that can you know keep things going. Yeah. But for me, it's just about connecting with those people who have the same values in the first place. And I'm finding this all very funny, what you've just said, because Andrew, who is my co-founder in Statsy, I met, I think we're trying to work out, I think it's either 16 or 17 years ago, (laughs) because he, you know, I was working for a software company and so was he. 
he just started a, another startup that he since grew to a really big business and you know has done an exit and all that kind of stuff and you know he he was one of my networking you know pal- I say networking we used to go drinking but you know like when I was younger uh, <laughs> and didn't have children and so you know we were pals and we'd go out and you know we had a good connection I hadn't spoken to him for years and it was only when I got back into doing software things in the last year or two I started reconnecting on LinkedIn, I think, or was it Facebook, and just picking up people from before. And because, you know, it made sense to connect again and we were doing something relevant and we had something to talk about, we met up, we had lunch, and then that, that was, you know, a year before I started working there. But we kept in touch and saw each other at a few events. And so, you know, people are okay that you go off and you circle back or you, you know, you go off and do something over here and you might come back there or you might not, or you might... Yeah, for a really long time, I didn't do much local networking because most of my business was either online or just, you know, anywhere in the world or just in other parts of the country. And so I hadn't done a lot of local networking. But now that, uh, you know, like we're a local based business now, our developers, local, we all live in the same town, basically, which is, it hasn't happened to me for such a long time. You know, I've been so used to having a remote team for years and years and years and years. It's almost a novelty for me that I can, oh, I can go to the office. It's like 15 minutes drive away. This is really odd. And, uh, you know, and so we meet locally and we've, I'm, you know, coming back and local connections. But, you know, I'm going to events now with people that I have known for years. I just haven't seen them for ages. But I haven't disappeared from their radar. Even if I have, coming in has just been, oh, hi, nice to see you again. And it's it's that. It's nothing's been made a thing about because, people know that that just happens. Did you have a hesitation at all about reaching out to people? You said part of the impetus for you was that you were moving into software. Yes. You thought, well, you know, why don't I see who I already know? I mean, first of all, even thinking about that is pretty brilliant. And so many people, that's an untapped resource, their network Mm -hmm. that they like forget about. And they, they would move into software and start to figure out who they needed to meet as in from from a brand new perspective. And then you're like, no, I have all these warm connections. How do I rekindle? So was there any hesitation though when you started thinking, oh my gosh, it's been like a dozen years. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, I I think I've got better at being okay that if people just say no, that's okay. It's not personal. They're just, you know, it's not relevant to them anymore. I, I think as whether it's an age thing or whether it's I've become more resilient or self-aware or I just don't mind. Like, I'll just ask. If people say, no, I'm not interested, then you're like, okay, that's fine. You know, no one's been hurt in this scenario. It's just, <laughs> I think, I think we, we, are, we are programmed to take things a lot more personally than perhaps we need to. And, you know, it's, I'm very much the, what's the worst that can happen? The worst that can happen is they don't want to talk to you. Well, you haven't talked to them for 10 years anyway, so... You haven't really lost anything there. But what you could gain is, you know, a reconnection or a new friendship. I mean, obviously, I don't just bowl in there and go, oh, I'm connected with you again because I want to, you know, see what I can get out of this. You just kind of go, hey, it's been ages. Like, be okay about it. Just say, it's been 100 years. You know, what are you up to these days? I've, you know, I've gone off and done this and I've come back to this. I'd love to chat about what you're doing now. I mean, that's that. It's, I think people can make too much of a thing about it. And the worst that can happen is people just ignore you. Or just say, no, thanks. I don't want to talk to you. Um, but I don't think anyone I don't think anyone would do that. And if they did, they wouldn't do it in a horrible way necessarily. I don't think you'd ever get a 
you know I mean if I got a reply from someone said look I'm not really doing that anymore I'm not really working or sounds great you know good luck with that I think most people would be polite about it and I think it just makes sense to I'm very much of the principle look don't ask don't get Mm -hmm. I'm not arrogant or aggressive about that but if you don't ask you don't get and sometimes you won't but if you didn't ask then definitely not getting I'd rather ask and get a no than wonder or think what might have been and that does take courage and it does take confidence but I think just do it. You know, you, there's nice ways of doing that. You don't have to be aggressive. What I like about it, though, is I also imagine that um, doing this and getting positive responses helps you then decide to do it over and over again. Of course. That, that, right? So, so part of it's that when someone first thinks about it, it sounds so daunting. Mm. But if you reach out to that person who was a, a good friend years ago and you just haven't mm. talked to them in a while, but you loved working with them, they, and they're excited to hear from you, then yeah. you're like emboldened, that courage comes, right? That confidence comes. Yeah. You think, oh, let me do that again. And let me do that again. And the other thing I would, I would sort of add is that I, I think so often people view this as the thing they do when they are desperate yeah. for something. And that what you did was you did it not out of desperation. I had no agenda. You were just, yeah, you were yeah. just like, hey, I'm now moving in your world again. Let's yeah. reconnect. Yeah. And some of it's, you know, some of the people I've reconnected with, it's been, so last, you know, last year uh, and, and the year before I was, I was back in software, I was working on another um, startup and it was reconnecting back with actually people from the zero world that I'd launched. So this was a really long time ago. This is something I'd done and it was like 10 years since I'd been in that world. And I started you know, going back to my connections. But what was brilliant is obviously all the people I knew then, they're all now in charge. It's brilliant. <laughs> like, so all the people I knew back in the beginning. So I'm like, right, who do I know at zero? Oh, well, I know Gary, the MD. Uh, you know, he's like the CEO of UK. I'll talk to him. <laughs> and, you know, and he, and that was a little bit like, is he going to remember who I am? I'm, he I'm like, he did remember. You know, we ended up having dinner together. We ended up chatting and I'm like, well, if you're going to reconnect with someone, may as well reconnect with the person in charge, right? Yeah. And so that was, you know, that was surprising, but also not surprising because we had shared history and we talked about it and he could see I'd gone off and done other things. And I, I didn't have an agenda. I just wanted to, to reconnect. I think that's the key thing. I think it's like anything, you know, whether it's networking or dating or not that I've done that for a long time, but you know, if you look like the person who's got a really serious agenda, like I must find a boyfriend tonight or, you know, uh, like I must sell something right now to the next person I speak to. That's awful. Like no one wants to talk to that person. And and you wouldn't, you know, network like that. Well, I'm sure you, no one recommends that, but you know, and you wouldn't want to go out on a, you know, an evening with friends on that agenda of I must find a boyfriend. Um, but it's the same. Like you wouldn't just send a message to someone and go, I must talk to you because I, you know, you just catch up. You just, even if that might be your, well, that would be a nice agenda eventually if we have a conversation and that could make sense, then maybe. But I think if you just go into it to a, look, I'd like to catch up again. I'd like to find out what you're doing and just, and just have curiosity, have openness, have just an agenda of, Let's just have a let's see if we can have an interesting conversation. You might know some people, you might make some recommendations, you might, you know, not be doing that anymore, but might know someone who is. Let's just I think I think we're so worried about we must have an agenda and we must have an outcome that people have stopped just having conversations. Now I say that I am the person who talks to anyone. I'm the person who my husband, like, and my kids know it now. Like if we go somewhere, they'll turn around for five minutes, I'll be talking to someone. 
like you know if I'm sat next to someone or in a queue for something or we're just you know on the next table to us like I am the person who talks to anyone but I like having interesting conversations I think that people can still take a cue from you even if that's not their natural state yeah like just have a conversation have a conversation uh reach out to the dormant connections weak ties see what's going on in their life and, and ultimately do that before you're desperate. So yeah. while you're still employed, <laughs> you know, when you're make, thinking about a shift, but before you're out of a job, yeah. you know, start, start thinking about rekindling and, and staying in touch. Um, do you do any travel for your work or are you really staying close to home these days? Are you no, I, I do or? travel. I'd still, you know, I'd speak at events. I, you know, I got to London quite a lot. Um, do you ever uh, host dinners or gatherings when you're traveling to bring people together? <laughs> no, because um, so much as I might sound quite extroverted, uh, I, I learned recently that I'm an ambivert. Mm-hmm. So an, an ambivert is an extroverted introvert who uh, I can go and do the people thing. And if I'm going to do the people thing, I want to be center of attention. Don't get me wrong. Like my biggest tip for networking is be the speaker because then everyone in the room meets you. Okay. So like, I'm like, if I'm going, I'm going, <laughs> like I want to meet everyone. I want to be the speaker. I'd rather be not necessarily definitely the center of attention, but I certainly want people to know I'm there and I want to connect with people, enjoy it. But when I'm done, I like to go and be on my own. Yeah. An outgoing so, introvert. Yeah, so I need to retreat. Like, like when, my, when my batteries are run out of being extroverted, I like to go and, you know, mm-hmm. read a book on my own. Um, I, do, I do meet up with people and I will, you know, I don't mind having a smaller dinner, but like if I've done peopling during the day, I don't want to do peopling in the evening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's important that. to know that about yourself. <laughs> yeah, but that's about me knowing, knowing who I am and, and how I work best. That just goes back to that. So if we were connecting, this is one of my favorite questions and, and one of the last ones. Okay. If we were uh, chatting a year from now and talking about all of the amazing achievements that you've had in the previous year. Mm-hmm. What are we going to be celebrating? What are you looking forward to in the next year? Oh, gosh. Uh, okay. So in the next year, we are completely focused on growing Statsy. So we will be celebrating uh, the numbers we've hit of users, the amount of people that are in our network that are referring it. Um, I don't know. From an ego perspective, I wouldn't mind winning a couple of awards. They're always nice. <laughs> so there's the kind of straight up business celebrations of like, you know, we've hit certain numbers. You know, maybe we've got the investment we were after. Um, I've had a couple of really nice ego boosting speaking gigs that, you know, look good on the, on the resume. And, uh, yeah, we're just celebrating that, that, you know, we've grown the team, everyone's engaged, we're really enjoying it. And, you know, I'm really enjoying that we've started something that's growing and people really get, I mean, you know, I've always only ever wanted to do work that solves a problem that helps people, you know, the sort of thing that people come up to you go, oh, thanks for doing Like, that's brilliant. That's really saved me loads of time or that makes my life easier or like, you know, my business is going so well now that I've got this. Like, that's what you really love. You know, you testimonials are the best. Like if I had a nice big stack of, you know, really happy testimonials um, that go alongside the sales, then I'd be very happy. Fantastic. I, I can't wait to be there to cheer you <laughs> on and celebrate what you've achieved. So Lucy, how can people find you and follow your work? So the, uh, the website is statsy.app. So it's S-T-A-T-Z-Y dot A-P-P, uh, statsyapp.com. Um, and they can email me if they want to, uh, lucy at statsy.app. 
But if you want to hang out and, you know, follow me on social media, which is what a lot of people like to do, like I said, to keep up with what I'm doing, then you can find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm reasonably active on there these days. It stopped being quite as dull as it used to be, she says. <laughs> so so I, I don't mind hanging out there now. It's less dull. And we're on Facebook all the time. So Statsy's got a page um, on Facebook. And then I also run a Facebook group called Vital Statistics. So uh, that's where we help people kind of follow their business numbers. And we, we share loads of great advice about social media and marketing and sales and growing your business. And, and that's really where I'm building a community um, where I like to hang out and contribute. And I do lots of lives and that kind of thing. So that's where I do my networking from my office is within uh, our Vital Statistics Facebook group. Fantastic. Well, we will have all the links that you're mentioning here in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. So all the folks listening can check that out. Thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Lucy. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 129. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode with Lucy, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance and I look forward to connecting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.